Good morning, everyone. This is actually a recording of a slightly different version of the sermon that I gave this morning at uh, Incarnation. But um, it's based on the same passage, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. My name is Liz, and I am one of the pastors at Incarnation, and I'm delighted to be talking to you today. As many of you who are listening to this know, I love to walk. It's my happy space. And as I do, I often listen to podcasts. And I was listening this week to a delightful podcast on on being, an interview between Krista Tippett and Mario Livio, an astrophysicist and science educator. And he spoke with such joy and delight about the role of mathematics in the universe. And as a mathematician myself, I always prick up my ears whenever I hear people talking with joy about numbers and science and the ways that things fit together. But one of the things that he said is, the thing is that in science, unless you have a well-defined problem, and in mathematics too, then it's virtually impossible to actually answer it. He also went on to say that Lord Kelvin has been claimed to have said that everything has actually been resolved already, and there are just two small problems that remain to be solved. And as it turned out, these two problems led to quantum mechanics and general relativity, the two greatest scientific revolutions of the 20th century. How delightful, um, this idea that when you begin to ask one question, it can often lead to other doors opening up. And mathematicians, scientists, philosophers are all constantly asking questions. And so... As I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, I wonder what questions scientists in our community have asked. So I asked Nancy and I said, Nancy, hey, what what did you work on when you were doing your studying um, way back when? And she said this. Well, actually, I was working on how viruses work and specifically how are their genes which cause havoc turned on and off? Okay, brace yourselves now. Here comes what Nancy then said. She said, using recombinant DNA technology, I isolated pieces of DNA that I thought might be important in turning key viral genes on and off based on what others had published and what I saw in the DNA sequencing. Sort of like splicing together wires with unknown switches to see what makes a light bulb light up or not. Then using similar techniques, I made a system that would express the different viral or cellular proteins I thought might be important in a way where I could detect whether the switch was being activated or repressed by them and under what conditions. By doing this, I helped tease out a few of the intricate mechanisms of viral gene regulation. And what she said was, the delightful thing is that just occasionally, for a little while, there would be something in the world which Nancy knew that nobody else did. Isn't that wonderful? A persistent desire to be curious. And most of the scientists I know, including Nancy, could also tell endless stories of experiments that didn't lead anywhere, where they had pushed an idea and it didn't work out. And so they'd had to go back to reframe, re-ask, rethink their approach. Because staying curious is so vital for good science. In our Old Testament reading today, we heard another story. Um, Moses being curious. Listen to this sentence again and said, Moses looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And of course, that turning aside by Moses led to a conversation with God, which led to a relationship with God that went on through decades. It also led to Moses becoming a great leader and 
having so many amazing conversations with God as he worked out how to take his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Remarkable, but it started off by Joseph, by Moses exhibiting curiosity. And now we turn to our gospel reading today. And what does that have to do with curiosity, you might say? But even as you heard that story, and I'm going to read it again, I want you to kind of imagine yourself in a position, maybe one of the three speaking parts. Now, the three people who speak in the story are Jesus, the woman who's healed, and the leader of the synagogue. So take a moment as I read it and just allow your imagination to fill in the gaps, the sights and sounds, who else was there, what else was said. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from the bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Perhaps you imagined yourself as the woman crippled for 18 years the fact that that number is given indicates perhaps that it wasn't she wasn't like that way from birth but something happened perhaps she got ill perhaps she was knocked over as she was going to market by a cart I don't know something something happened an accident or a disease but for 18 years she has likely known pain and perhaps she was thought of locally as having sinned and therefore God was punishing her She was so bent that looking at people's faces had become impossible and she looked at her feet instead. Was she lonely or frightened? Did she believe she was crippled because of her own fault or sin? Had she rationalised her infirmity in some way? I wonder what her family thought. Was she still loved or welcomed? Or was she isolated and rejected? And what did she think about God? She was in the synagogue, so she was presumably a believer. But she had heard of Jesus and knew that he was a teacher and he knew that he was teaching there that day. And so she had chosen to go there to hear him talk. I wonder if she was hopeful because she had heard that he was healing people. Or did you put yourself in the position of the synagogue leader? Perhaps smart, perhaps well-versed in the law. Perhaps he'd been taught by all the finest teachers. He was successful. He had become a leader of the synagogue. Perhaps he thought of himself as very open-minded in that he had invited Jesus to come and teach on that day. Perhaps he thought of himself as rather generous in that he had welcomed the crippled woman into his community and allowed her to sit and worship with the other women. But perhaps when Jesus healed the woman, I wonder how he felt then. 
a little rush of emotions, do you think he could have been a little jealous? After all, he had known the woman for a very long time and he had never healed her. Do you think he was frustrated or alarmed at the spiritual power that Jesus demonstrated? By the end, it appears that he was ashamed and embarrassed. Would people now think less of him than they had when they had seen what Jesus could do? Did he feel a little panicky at that loss of control? Was he threatened by the fact that Jesus could heal on the Sabbath? Was his position as synagogue leader in jeopardy? Would the people stop following his teaching and listen to Jesus instead? He was well versed in the law, and probably that was a source of some pride for him, and yet it is on the law that Jesus tackles him. Because look at how Jesus responds. Jesus sees and notices the woman and her infirmity. He reaches out and touches her with healing. And she stands straight and responds by praising God. And then the conversation between him and the synagogue leader. And the synagogue leader immediately wants to throw the law at Jesus and say that other six days are suitable for healing. But Jesus actually truly understands what the meaning of the Sabbath is all about. Did you notice the phrase he used when he spoke to the woman? He said, you are set free from your ailment. And that concept of freedom on the Sabbath was fundamental because the Sabbath was put in place partly as a reminder for the people of of the time when they had been rescued from enslavement in Egypt. The Sabbath was a day to remember what freedom was all about. And Jesus here turns to the synagogue leader and says, hey, you do better for your ox than you have for this woman in that at least you take your ox to get a drink, but you have not reached out with healing for this lady. So Jesus challenged the synagogue leader by asking him questions, by pushing him to be more curious about the law, to seeing something deeper than the thing that he had made it become. And he asks him to consider. And Jesus showed to the crowd that the Sabbath being holy was not about keeping rules and thou shalt not. Keeping the Sabbath holy was all about helping people to find freedom. And so in a very clear way, Jesus on that day, far from breaking the commandment, made it come alive and made it come real. And so today, what is the application for us? Well, in a moment, what we do as a congregation is we were going to pray for the Ukraine not saying that people in the Ukraine are all perfect or that all those in Russia are all bad, but this war is bad. And we're going to take a moment to pray together that God will free people, that he will bring peace, that he will bring an end to the war, that there will be a restoration of stability, both in the Ukraine and in Russia. And so this week, as you go forward, will you think about your view of Sabbath rest? Will you think about where it is that you can slip so quickly into legalism? But most of all, let us pray, let us reach out to God on behalf of others and ask for them to be set free from their ailments, set free from their bondages, so that they might too praise God. Amen.